0: Not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: This is Dr. Dan. There have been many American heroes whose actions are critically important, but whose names are barely a footnote in the written annals of our nation's history. One such person is Dr. Joseph Warren, a graduate of Harvard College, a Boston physician, and a close friend of Samuel Adams and John Hancock. Dr. Warren played a pivotal role in the patriot movement prior to our War of Independence. You may remember that it was Dr. Joseph Warren who sent Paul Revere on his famous midnight ride on April 18, 1775. There is, of course, much more to that story than what happened on that fateful night. Earlier that month, John Hancock and Samuel Adams, both outspoken leaders of the rebellion, afraid they would be arrested or hung by the British, fled Boston to hide in the home of Reverend Jonas Clark in Lexington, Massachusetts. Dr. Joseph Warren, a practicing physician in Boston, ran a spy ring for the Sons of Liberty out of his office in his home. A spy told him that the British General Thomas Gage had assembled troops in Boston to raid armaments of the colonists that were being held in storage in Concord. Dr. Warren knew that the arms had already been moved to safety. They were hidden elsewhere. But Warren feared that Adams and Hancock could be found and arrested. So he sent Paul Revere and a second rider, William Dawes, in other words, two riders by separate routes to warn Revere and Adams that the British were coming. The next day, Warren left Boston and participated with the Minutemen in routing the British as they retreated back to Boston. This is just one episode in the exemplary life of Dr. Joseph Warren, a patriot and a hero of the American War of Independence. After our commercial break, we will return with our guest on Freedom Forum Radio, Christian Despina, the founder and CEO of the Dr. Joseph Warren Foundation, a not for profit organization dedicated to helping preserve Warren's legacy through education and research. This is Dr. Dan, and we're back with Christian Despina. Christian Despina is the founder and CEO of the Dr. Joseph Warren Foundation. Again, it's a not for profit organization dedicated to helping preserve Dr. Warren's legacy through education and research. I invite you to go to their website, www.djwf.org. Mr. Despina is he's a Phi Beta Kappa graduate from Columbia University with a degree in history. And he did decades of groundbreaking research before authoring a book that is entitled Founding Martyr, The Life and Death of Dr. Joseph Warren, The American Revolution's Lost Hero. Founding Martyr. Founding Martyr. By Christian Despina. Go to the website, buy the book. It is fascinating. I've read it. And so, Christian Despina, I'll call you Christian. Yes. Welcome as a guest to on Freedom Forum Radio.
2: Well, I really appreciate you having me on, Dr. Dan. Thank you so much.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And... and My listeners know how, that. to me, history is the gold standard by which we all need to be measured. I mean, history is so important. First of all, when you ignore history, uh, history has a way of spanking you. Uh, And uh, history, to me, has has just been really, really fascinating. Uh, Teaching history in schools, um, I know when I was learning history, um, it was not what I would have liked because all you had to do was memorize a bunch of dates and no one bothered to tell you what what was important what was not and, and that really that really doesn't get it because once you get old enough to understand history that's when you really can understand what's going on what went on in the past and what's going on now and certainly you can predict pretty much what's going to go on in the future uh, with pretty narrow tolerances so uh, Christian, it is is wonderful to have you here. And I think we ought to talk about, well, first of all, what you got you interested in Dr. Joseph Warren?
2: Yeah, well, let me give you the condensed version. Um, I came across a book that was printed in the mid-19th century, and it was called Stories About General Warren. And it was written by a, quote, lady of Boston, which was Dr. Joseph Warren's niece. And I just started reading it, and I just couldn't believe how many references to him were made as far as... Him being involved in the Boston Massacre, him being involved with the Tea Party, him being at the battles of Lexington and Concord, him dispatching Paul Revere and William Dawes on their midnight ride, and then Dr. Warren paying the ultimate price on the battlefield. And I just thought, how could someone have been involved in so many things, but yet we know so little about him? And. I mean that really is true think about it there's only been a handful of biographies written on dr joseph Warren, and i believe there's over a thousand about washington and and part of the issue you just uh, alluded to it earlier uh when you said that he was running a spy ring out of his office so a lot of his papers he destroyed intentionally we know that um right on the eve of lexington and concord he destroys more papers and that's according to his nephew and if you really think about it i mean when when people remember him at all it's either Either, oh, he's the guy who sends Revere and Dawes on their midnight ride, or he's the guy who gets killed at Bunker Hill. And really, the way I've seen it is that this one afternoon, June 17, 1775, when Warren is killed in action, it really overshadows a decade of resistance activities. I mean, there's really no one on the ground leading this Rebellion, which turns into a revolution more than Dr. Joseph Warren, really with the exception of Samuel Adams. And, you know, I, you know, I guess it's just in my nature to question things. I think when you're doing the research, you have to have a lot of luck time. And I just really was shocked that we just don't know about this American hero and Patriot, Dr. Joseph Warren. And so it really became my mission to try and tell the most Accurate story I could and I was fortunate enough to get in touch with his direct descendants who had believed to have been extinct for over a century. They were very generous to me, opening their doors to me, sharing their artifacts, their treasure trove of items, family trees, documents, so it really really allowed me to approach this project in a way that had never been done before.
1: It's amazing to see your passion in this. And and I share your passion because it produced such a wonderful book. Because you you share in this book details, more details than we have, really— even more details than we have about some of the more even more famous people from that era, because you got them from family, and I'm sure that there was an oral history passed down from relatives from generation to generation, which you drew upon. Uh, that means that you were dedicated, and the family obviously understood that their ancestor was important. You know, he was friends with one of my favorite, my fa- my favorite founding fathers. I've got three of them. It's Samuel Adams, Patrick Henry, and Thomas Jefferson. Those are those are my three big ones. I mean George Washington. He was a good, he was a good guy too, but when it comes to when it comes to the philosophy on which our country was founded, uh, you have to look at. Thomas Jefferson. When it comes to someone who was the, the the fiery orator, it has to be Patrick Henry. And when it comes to someone who actually boots on the ground, that's got to be Samuel Adams, the Sons of Liberty. Uh, just an incredible group of guys, group of of people who who really pushed that revolution forward. So let's talk about. Their early life What what was early Dr. Warren's early life He wasn't Dr. Warren then But what was Joseph Warren's like, life yeah, like I mean,
2: Yeah, he, he grows up In a farm In Roxbury, Massachusetts Which is right on the Outskirts of Boston I mean, and, and the incredible Thing about Warren Is when you think about Boston society this is a highly uh, socially stratified structure so really if you were not part of this upper echelon of people you really had to, to work hard to sort of elbow your way out of this life of mediocrity so Warren grows up on a farm to humble parents. Um, And I think the key for Warren is when he gets accepted to Harvard. So when he enters Harvard, he's a freshman in the year 1755. And at that point, uh, tragedy strikes the family because Warren's father is an apple farmer and During his freshman year, Warren's father falls from a tree while he's trying to harvest the apples and breaks his neck and dies immediately. Now, we know now for a fact due to the records at Harvard that Warren would have been home for the first of six vacations that year, so he would have been there helping his father With the apple harvest and i think this leaves a very big impression on him so immediately he sort of catapulted to the family patriarch role his mother insists he continue his education and what's so important about these years at harvard is warren's really rubbing elbows with the top echelon families their sons so you get names like the hallowells the hutchinsons the olivers all these prominent loyalist families who warren is now hobnobbing with the children and the incredible thing about warren is that At this time, social rank at Harvard is based on the social standing of your parents, their wealth. So to give you an example, the year Warren enters Harvard, the number one ranked student is the son of Connecticut Governor Jonathan Trumbull. Now, Warren is ranked, I believe, 32nd or 33rd in a class of 45 entering freshmen. So he's really at the bottom of this social ladder. And as such, you don't really get to hobnob with those top tier students. But the amazing thing is that really by his junior. In senior years Warren is rooming with the top scholars in his class and he's learning how to deliver an oration I know he has to make speeches in Latin as part of the curriculum so really this is this becomes Warren's social oasis and when he graduates from Harvard and goes back to the town of Roxbury he's kind of in this desert and so These Harvard years really are so important to his development, not only his social connections, but learning. And when he graduates in 1759, he decides to get his master's degree and become a doctor. And he graduates with his master's from Harvard in 1762 and he begins his medical apprenticeship with Dr. James Lloyd.
1: You know, it's interesting to me, and you describe in the book, that the social ranking had really significant implications in his in his living conditions, in his, what he got to Eat I mean It was It was an I mean it was like A caste system there uh, Really And So he was really On the bottom How did he How did he make it up Toward the top What did he do
2: Yeah You know And again You know We have We have so little personal information from Warren the first 25 years of his life. I was able to, I was lucky enough to come across a newspaper that described Warren as being a very daring prankster at Harvard, where he would play tricks on his classmates and. But you can see like from the Harvard records, he's never really in trouble. He's not getting a lot of punishments. You could see he's got his nose to the grindstone and that he's doing well. And he eventually becomes one of the top scholars at Harvard. And this is this is what sort of catapults him to rubbing elbows with these other top echelon students and the sons of loyalist families. And he's really, you know, when he when he's introduced to the world of Harvard, it's almost like you know, this enlightenment world that meets religion. So he's kind of got a foot on both sides, right? These enlightenment ideals, he becomes interested in medicine, but also Harvard is a very pious atmosphere where he's learning about religion. It's almost like this science versus sorcery kind of thing coming together where He just starts to expand his horizons now Warren throughout his life is extremely dedicated to the church the Brattle Street Church where he's a lifelong member when he's killed at the Battle of Bunker Hill they find his family Bible in his in the fold of his waistcoat so I mean. I guess the point i'm trying to make is that warren really has a foot in all these different concentric circles religion social political military education medicine and i think the amazing thing about him is that he has a foot on each side of the political divide so he is a valuable resource to both Whig patriots and loyalist Tories. And they both kind of are going after him to get him to become on their side of the political issues of the day.
1: You know, that's kind of interesting. You know, you look at very similar issues even today or or when we were growing up where the parents would be of one mindset and then the, the kids would go to college and run into their peers. And that's where they really got into that conflict of, well, I don't really believe exactly what my parents believe. So, would you think that some of those some of those kids from those loyalist families, do you think some of them had enough influence on Warren in terms of not being a loyalist?
2: I, I The amazing thing about Warren, and, you know, I'm going to challenge some of the historical dogma here, because you've always heard that Joseph Warren was this sort of blank slate that Samuel Adams sort of takes under his wing and he molds him into this fiery Patriot. But when Warren enters this orbit of Whig radicalism, he's already coming heavily entrenched in his, in his, And his radical philosophies and ideologies. Now, there is no question that Samuel Adams was a political mentor to Warren. But to sit here and think that Warren was this blank slate before entering this this orbit of Whig radicalism, I just think it's not true. I mean, there were several issues that I think one of the things that's amazing and you just pointed it out very slowly, Dr. Dan, is that how did Warren not become a loyalist? I mean, the fact that he's around all these loyalist families and he's receiving a lot of financial patronage from the top loyalists in the colonies like Thomas Hutchinson. I'll give you an example. Thomas Hutchinson, who becomes the royal governor, he, he knows Warren and his family. When Warren's father dies in 1755, it's Thomas Hutchinson that helped settle the probate estate of his father. Thomas Hutchinson appoints Warren as the executive administrator to the Nathaniel Wheelwright estate, which was a position Warren really had no business holding. It was very lucrative. He was helping to settle that estate. Warren's appointed as the physician to the almshouse for the town of Boston in 1769 to, I believe, 17. He makes over a thousand pounds from this. So so really, Warren joining and casting his lot with this patriot Whigs is really equal to financial suicide for him. And it's really amazing because his first mentor before Samuel Adams was Dr. James Lloyd, who was a staunch loyalist for his entire life. And you would think, boy, this influence on Warren, you would think he'd become a loyalist, but he doesn't. And it's almost inexplicable how he Comes to join the Patriot ranks But you can still kind of trace it To two incidents that happened In his life that I feel really pushed him Towards becoming a Patriot
1: You know There really is something to think About that because you know Boston Was a hotbed For the Whigs I mean that whole area there With Samuel Adams and Sons of Liberty and, And Hancock You know John Hancock And all those people were there But the British control was so uh, overpowering that they spent a lot of their time fleeing this, fleeing that, hiding out here, hiding out there. And here you have Dr. Joseph Warren actually running a spy ring uh, in amongst there. I mean, I just can't imagine how it would have been fascinating to be a fly on the wall in that era.
2: Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I used to hear people say, oh, I wish I lived during those times. And I'm thinking, well, spend a couple of days in the summer there without air conditioning and having to forage your own food and then get back to me. But that's, boy, what,
1: that's why I said oh, I want to be a fly on the wall. I don't want to actually live there.
2: Right. Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a fascinating story. And really, Warren's rise to power is almost meteoric. And, and you have to think about it. You know, I think a lot of questions I'll get, or I guess pushback, people will say to me, hey, we read your book and, you know, what is it about Warren? You know, why is it, you know, you say all these things about him. Why isn't he remembered? You're saying he deserves a lot of credit for the rebellion leading to the revolution. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website www.drdansfreedomforum.com The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything, everything, everything